Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi guys, so today I'm joined by an amazing guest, Dr. Jessica Petros. If you're on Instagram and you follow holistic or functional medicine accounts, I can probably guarantee that you're already following Dr. Jess because she has an amazing resource on the always sharing on her Instagram stories and on her feed. Well, if you're not already following her, you definitely need to and you will be wanting to after listening to this episode. We're talking all about chronic or stealth infections. So what I mean by that is hidden or chronic bacterial infections, yeast, mold, viruses, parasites. That's the type of thing that Dr. Jess specializes in and she helps a lot of chronically sick people. So she is an absolute visionary for the future of healthcare. She's an expert in stealth infections, biologics and regenerative medicine, cannabis, ozone and environmental toxicities. And in this episode, we discuss Jess's transition from conventional to holistic or functional medicine, symptoms or signs that you might have an issue with hidden or stealth infections. A lot of these things can be misdiagnosed by um, into like chronic fatigue syndrome, POTS, mast cell activation. You might have hormone imbalances that just no one can figure out um, how these organisms affect our hormones and the kind of mechanisms behind that. The importance of opening up detox pathways and drainage before you start any killing and Dr. Jess was originally taught this in Gerson therapy and also cheap and inexpensive ways to support detoxification and heal from some of these chronic illnesses because I don't know if you've ever researched some of the therapies for Lyme disease or um, mold illness but they're super expensive and not a lot of people have access to them so some of the things that she covers include one of my favorites coffee enemas things like cast oil packs sweating and she has an infamous kilbine sweat protocol which we also touch on so yeah i really enjoyed this and connecting with dr jess she is so passionate and you can just tell that by her energy and her aura and i really think you're going to enjoy this so without any further ado let's get into the episode so to start off can you tell the listeners a bit about your transition from conventional medicine into functional holistic type medicine because I love hearing this story. <laughs> Absolutely yeah uh, this is kind of my claim to fame if you will because I did something that no medical doctors really ever do and that was because I had the opportunity in my life to do so. So I actually started out as a, as a regular conventionally trained medical doctor. Um, I, where I'm from in Huntington, West Virginia, I didn't know that you could have natural doctors. I didn't know about naturopaths. The only thing that was present there was a, a conventional medical school. And so I aimed to do that. I went to medical school. I went to 
uh, University of Louisville, University of Louisville residency, and then went to be a hospitalist, board certified in internal medicine for almost seven years and taught me a lot. It taught me um, how I didn't want to practice. Taught you what it, not to do. <laughs> yeah, basically. And that's, that's, hey, that's valuable though. Yeah. That was valuable for me because I needed to be firsthand in the system and see that it wasn't like they taught us in the schools. It wasn't this perfect mix of everything where you healed people and they went on their way and they had this bright, healthy life afterwards. In my line of work, I wasn't doing emergency medicine, which is necessary. You know, if you broke your leg, you go to the emergency room. Thank God for surgeons and emergency medicine that way. But I was in the chronic illness realm. And um, I saw that everyone just got 30 pills and were discharged and really weren't taught about diet or lifestyle or how to improve what was health in general besides the absence of disease. And then I would see them the next week in the emergency department again with a similar picture. And after doing this for six, almost seven years, I realized that wasn't really what I signed up for. I really signed up to actually heal people, not um, keep them barely balanced on, an, on a multitude of pills um, and in pain and, you know, having to take a pill for something else because another pill caused that side effect. And at that point, I decided this isn't for me. I'm part of the problem. And so I decided to go get trained in functional medicine. And actually my first stop was Gerson therapy, which is an alternative to treating cancer naturally. And they taught me all about opening detox pathways and drainage pathways and how the body has to return to normal before you can go killing a bunch of things in it. And this was extremely valuable information for me as a conventionally trained medical doctor. It was novel information, I might say. And I was eaten up with it. I couldn't get enough. And that is the beginning of my story because once all it took for me was hearing this new information, was it scientifically sound in certain manners? Yes. And then I had to take it into the clinical field and practice it and see if what they said was true. What I found was that natural herbs and natural medicine got to the root better than the medicine I had been trained in. And they actually were telling the truth about reversing some chronic conditions that I was always told were irreversible. So and I'm my intrigued. Journey. Did you have any nutrition training? Because I've heard for some practitioners, it was like one class, a couple of hours. So what was it like mm -hmm. in your school? Uh, they, I think they threw that in there with some biochemistry. So we had to learn like the essential amino acids, you know, because I always use that every day now. Um, and then maybe like four or five hours of nutrition training. It wasn't very much if that. Um, and definitely the focus was not on food as medicine at all all. In fact, I'm embarrassed to say this, but for most of my medical school career, residency, and even when I was out working as a hospitalist, I drank Diet Mountain Dew. Oh my gosh. Because, yes. <laughs> I know, because we were not told that food was medicine. We were not told that, I mean, I eat Jimmy Dean sausage just for breakfast. I, you guys should see I what no I idea what that is. <laughs> oh, you don't eat good. Good for you that you don't know what that is. Good. Yeah, it's, it's nasty. And it's nothing having to do with health. It's actually the opposite of health. A little bit. It's and actually so the if, opposite of health. If you were in charge or if you had a say as to how the medical world was to look, how would that be? Would you just be completely on the natural side of things or would you kind of integrate the two? I would do both because I'll tell you, it depends on the patient. It's almost like if they come to you at a certain point and they're so sick, you can't just go unraveling things all at once. You have to work easily with them. And sometimes if they're really in danger, you need a Band-Aid of one of those synthetic medications to hold them. If their blood pressure is 200 over 100, you need 
you know, HCTZ or Norvasc or something to hold that down until you can correct the metabolic insufficiencies in their body that's causing them to be out of homeostasis. So there's a danger point there. If I don't treat that high pressure, then it could end up with a stroke right? So I, they've gone too far. So at that point, Western medicine is needed to keep people safe in a safe boundary. But, you know, if you get to the, before that point, if you work on prevention and unraveling that slowly, eventually they don't need those medications. They're just there to be a band-aid. And I always so that's say, what, yeah, the conventional world is really good for acute illnesses. You get hit by a car, you need life-saving surgery. Like I'm all for, and I think you are as well, the yes. allopathic world. Whereas some of these chronic lifestyle driven diseases, it doesn't work. They're in kind of this hamster wheel of treatment and medication after medication. And that's where natural medicine and nutrition really do shine. Absolutely. I mean, really, these are the ways to prevent illness. And if you've gotten to a point where you already have a diagnosis or an illness, you have to work a different way. And it may take you longer, just as long as you've been sick, it may take you that long to unravel that and become healthy. There's a lot of damage done to the body inadvertently when we weren't, we didn't know, or we were in survival mode, right? Mm -hmm. And so that can take a long time. We have to be patient. And the thing about natural medicine is it's wonderful to work with conventional medicine. That's what we call it integrative, but it doesn't work as quickly as a pill. Because of that, it doesn't produce the side effects either. So there's a con and a pro to this. Absolutely. <laughs> so Sorry, I'm kind of That's like, okay. let me move this way. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Okay. And today I want to talk all about stealth infections. So we'll discuss kind of what that is and some of the most common ones that you see. But could you just give an example of like your typical um, patient yeah. and how the journey would look if they were to go down the conventional medical model versus what you do? So um, if they were going to go down the conventional medical model, wow. Yeah, That's, so someone I, with like chronic fatigue or Lyme disease. So if I, I saw a patient with fibromyalgia, chronic disease, Lyme disease, all of those things, you know, they really take a constellation of symptoms in Western medicine and they want to label it. And there's a couple purposes for that. One purpose is they can't bill for anything in the ICD-10 code until there's a name for it. Another reason is because they can't give you a medication if they don't know what it is. And so they look for a label for a number of different reasons, but... I have a different perspective in natural medicine. I look at the symptoms. I don't care what the diagnosis or label is. I ask why the body is behaving in a way that's haywire or abnormal. So with conventional medicine, they would look at just giving a pill for that. Oh, you have fibromyalgia. Here's Lyrica. Here's a pain medication for your nerves. So you're so sore all over. But for me, I'm asking why is this body screaming out in pain? This is a clue. What is it? What is it upset about? The body's very intelligent. I don't just want to suppress those symptoms, although I do want the patient to be tolerable for them, but I want to know why that is happening. So if I suppress it, I won't be able to see the constellation of things that might be happening all the time. So rarely do I go straight for a pain medication for something like fibromyalgia. I really am looking for what is inside the body that doesn't belong there. And what was it that made you ultimately specialize in more of the chronic um, illnesses and um, these infections and Lyme disease, mold, etc., as opposed to weight loss or just like general well-being and health? You know, um, I almost did infectious disease in regular conventional medicine. I almost went out of internal medicine when I was graduated and went into a fellowship, which is even more extensive training in infectious disease. And I'm so glad I did because I don't know if I would have been able to break out of the brainwashing. 
Um, so I really saw it as a disservice that the Infectious Disease Department, Infectious Disease Society of America, IDSA, quotes their own papers as guidelines for Lyme. And um, I saw it as a conflict of interest. And I, I really thought even in conventional medicine that we didn't treat Lyme properly. I thought that this was kind of an open-ended area that a lot of people didn't know about. So then as I got into integrative medicine, I actually got into Gerson through cancer. And then I started asking, well, what causes cancer? What causes people to be in pain? And about 25 to 30% of that are pathogens and hidden infections. And, you know, the other 75% are emotions and environmental toxicities and heavy metals and plastics and pesticides. And if I was really going to heal people and get them off medicine, how was I going to do it? I had to get to the root cause of what was causing all these chronic illnesses, regardless of what label or diagnosis it was. And what I've come to find out is it's only the things I listed that cause disease in people and change our genes epigenetically. And so if I, I really want to get to the root cause, and if I was a hormone specialist, I feel like I wouldn't be doing that. If I was, you know, a health or fitness specialist, I feel like I'd only be addressing part of the cause. This way I can address everything that makes people sick in my opinion. And that's what made me want to go into that. Yeah. Before we started recording, I was sharing a bit about my experience mm -hmm. with the exact same thing. So um, we don't really have naturopathic doctors here in the UK. So I'm a naturopathic nutritionist. We get study, we awesome. study in kind of a naturopathic approach, um, but can't prescribe or diagnose um, and things like that. And for the first few years I was, well, and still, I, I say that I, I work a lot with hormonal issues and so balancing um, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, those types of things, working with PCOS. But then I think for my own health, I was given a kick up the bum and thought, <laughs> okay, you've been looking at a surface level for yourself for too long and we need to look under the hood at what's going yeah. on. And for me, it was mold, um, potentially Lyme, um, some of these kind of infections in the body. So that's kind of got me on my journey and in looking into more of these things as well. And are there any common symptoms or maybe conditions that people are diagnosed with that could be as a result of these infections? You mentioned one of them, fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. Definitely um, is things like mold and Lyme, 100%. Even parasites that can get in the muscles and cause point tenderness all over the body. This is usually due to a pathogen and toxicities in the body. And more often than not, I do see Lyme with it. Um, Bell's palsy. Another reason for Lyme disease, half paralysis of the face. Um, I, I just mentioned on Instagram yesterday, my best friend's nephew got bit by a tick and then woke up two weeks later with a debilitating headache and paralysis of the face. And that's acute Lyme disease. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's a great mimicker, right? Um, with mold, things like uh, type three Alzheimer's, a lot of dementia properties, um, a lot of uh, anxiety, depression, or hidden infections. Um, there's a reason that people's bodies are going haywire. POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardic syndrome. Um, man, Western medicine will put you on a tilt table test and spin you around upside down. If you pass out, they say you have POTS and here's a beta blocker <laughs> medication for it. And I'm like, great. Okay. You, they passed out. They have POTS. Why? Why? And it's a pathogen the body is seeing. Um, so there's so many of these examples like these where there's a deeper cause to a labeled diagnosis. Could you talk about the whole germ theory? So is it that we want to get rid of these completely? Is that even possible? Or is it uh, the goal is to strengthen our own kind of um, vitality? 
Correct. Because I feel like, honestly, we all have a little bit different haplotypes and genetic predispositions and whatnot, but we all have some pretty similar exposures. There are certain things that are just ubiquitous in the environment, in the water supply, in the soil, that all of us get exposed to. And depending on those genes, it depends on how we react to that. So people in general, you know, we're made up of billions of bacteria. They've recently found a human virome where we have viruses that actually um, help bacteria to protect us. Um, we even have fungus and candida that are supposed to be there in certain levels kept in check. When the problem arises is when we have um, a pathobiome. So your microbiome in your gut can actually convert over to a pathobiome. And this can happen for a number of different reasons. One scientific example we have is that people after surgery or a car accident, their gut bacteria change almost immediately into more of a pathogenic species. And so this can happen in people during a stressor, during an emotional event, during a physically emotional event. Um, and really stay that way. And so the things you're exposed to, lime, spirochetes, mold, it can kind of turn a tipping point when you have those stressors on top of everything. So your normal microbiome that protects you can turn into a pathobiome, which is more not protective of people, right? Um, and so we are made of germs. We are microbes. We are more microbes than cells. We don't want to kill off a bunch of viruses or a bunch of bacteria. They're also protective. We want to live in harmony with them because we've evolved for millions of years together. Um, where we're not living in harmony is when things grow out of sorts and are not kept in check. And that is because of the eradication of, an, of a good microbiome with antibiotics and steroids and pesticides. It's the exact same thing we're doing to the earth. And so as above, so below, if you strip soil, you have microbes that you don't want overgrowing in the soil, same as our gut, right? And so we can't just eradicate everything. We really have to learn to live in harmony and learn to work with the earth. Now, it's maybe a similar question, but do you feel like these infections and um, mold and things like that are becoming more prevalent or is it just that they're more recognized at this point and we're sicker as a population, maybe a little bit of both? I actually feel like mold has been able to grow out beyond where it's supposed to be. Like if you would look at a little Petri dish in the lab, it would be growing out of the Petri dish because of the eradication of some of the protective microbes that we've had in the environment. Um, another thing is the way we build houses now is completely wrong. Um, I know energy efficient is all the hype right now. Unfortunately, that usually means there's poor airflow because there's, they're tighter. And where there's less F airflow, there are more mold spores typically. And DMFs. There's yes. um, Dr. Klinkhart who did the kind of yes. study with the Petri dish next to the Wi-Fi box and it exploded in mycotoxins yes. by 600 times. Yes, so, exactly. Like more energy efficient <laughs> houses, faster Wi-Fi speed, but probably more um, illness because of that. Correct. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's very important. People really think that it's just their bodies. It's just in their genes. And it's not. I really encourage people to look at the perfect storm that happened when you originally got sick, where you were, look at your environment, really look outside your body for things that are not supposed to be there because the body is really the most intelligent doctor out there. And I know you work with a lot of really sick people. Is there kind of a, a process like where you start off, say either parasites, do you start with the mold, mm -hmm. which is kind of the worst one? <laughs> Right. They're all pretty bad. Honestly, I'll be for real. There's never just one pathogen. It's always a soup or a bunch of frenemies. I like to call them that work together. Um, and really 
the top three that I see are Lyme and tick-associated illnesses, mold, and parasites. And typically, if there's one present, you've usually got at least one other one. Mm -hmm. So, so I really tackle those all at once, actually. And to be honest with you, I don't do a lot of testing. I do more questioning and spending time with patients and listening to their bodies and what they say and, and really listening. And that has served me better than doing all these erroneous tests and spot treating everything. So really I'll get a pretty good idea of what's going on by talking to someone, test, maybe one or two tests if I need to. And then um, based on what I find, you know, if I find parasites, I can almost guarantee there are heavy metals. Mm -hmm. They run together. And what do you think that is? The parasites eat the heavy metals. There's mm -hmm. an affinity for them. So if you have heavy metals in your body, you're more of a sitting duck for a parasitic infestation. Um, so I can almost guarantee those things come hand in hand. So I'll tackle all at once. And I have a protocol where I work at opening drainage pathways rather than focusing on killing a certain microbe. The body is blocked and is not able to release the toxin exposure it's having on a daily basis. And that's the problem. It's not just one pathogen, it's a number. It's a soup of toxicities. I definitely want to go into your kill bind sweat protocol mm -hmm. because that's mm -hmm. what you're known for and I need everyone to be aware of this because it's so important <laughs> and effective but let's go through um, the parasites the mold and the lime in a little bit more detail um, because some people it's kind of brand new to them they've never heard of some of these things so when you're talking about parasites they're like oh my god like that's not going to happen to me I live in this um, modern lifestyle so um, how frequently do you see parasites and are there any specific symptoms that might indicate that's something that you need to look further into? Oh, yes. So I can, not to scare everyone out there watching, but almost all of us are going to be exposed to parasites and have something at some point in our lives. Um, we have really been done a disservice um, because doctors, I can say this because I know, have been taught that parasites and parasitic invasions don't really happen in this country. Um, we're a first world country. We don't have this stuff. And it's just simply not true. We deworm our pets because, and they are no less exposed than we are. Um, we really um, have these symptoms and don't fully understand them because we're taught that this just happens in tropical regions or third world countries. Um, so if you indulge in lots of sushi, then you're at risk. If you let animals look you in the face, you're at risk. Um, even having children who have something like pinworms, I've had families who can't get rid of that for years because it's so, 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 so contagious. Um, and in general, people would be surprised when I talk about symptoms. Um, they may say, gosh, that sounds like me. And I never had an answer. And that's really the story I hear over and over and over and over when I see people. For parasites specifically, they have a very specific set of questions that I ask um, people namely this sounds like bro science but there is a reason for it are you worse around the full moons which means with all the feels anxiety depression insomnia um, anger even and that's really not yours to hold that's more of a parasitic invasion because they're out in the bloodstream replicating around the full moon and so the body really feels that out in the bloodstream they're hiding out in the mucous membranes or liver or whatnot um, so people really can't sleep they may have muscle twitching uh, fasciculations i've grinding the teeth at night, especially around the full moon. Um, anal or rectal itching, as we just talked about, pinworms can be one of them for people. Uh, blurry vision, bladder issues like interstitial cystitis and UTIs. Um, 
And could you talk about the dairy connection? So a, a few weeks back on Instagram, you were talking about dairy allergies. Oh, yes, um, yes, yes. That's, yeah, I forgot about that symptom. Yes, so the dairy sensitivity as well. Um, so especially with strongyloides, which is a parasitic um, worm that can live its full life cycle inside of humans, um, eggs, larvae, worm. And it often moves from the liver, the bowels, to the muscles. So people will have really, really, really sore, heavy muscles for no reason, like they worked out. Um, they will also not be able to tolerate dairy at all. They'll be called lactose intolerant or just be like, gosh, I die if I get any of it. I'm so bloated. My face erupts everywhere. And that is a sign of parasites. Oftentimes when I get rid of them for people, they are able to tolerate dairy. So interesting. And the whole fluctuation around the full moon, people could assume that it's just hormonal because a lot of women menstruate with the, um, new moon ovulate with the full moon so they could be like oh it's just pms or it's just my hormones how do some of these parasites affect hormones oh so strongloides the one i just mentioned is one of the worst it actually um women's cycles are just a beast every month um if you even get it every month because of this um and really if it coincides with the full moon i'm sorry up front because you are just going to be a hot mess during that time um, it's, I hear women talk about how they can't get out of bed for two days, how they're crying. They're in so much pain. Advil barely, barely touches it. And if that's you, that's common maybe, but it's not normal. You guys. Exactly. Yeah. Whole <laughs> PMS and painful periods and irregular cycles is not normal, even though it might be common and what your friends and your um, mother has struggled with. What about mold? How does mold affect our hormones? Mold too. Mold in general, and all of these hidden infections have the potential to do this depending on who you are. Uh, I definitely see a lot of hidden infections spin people out where they can't sleep at all. They have an estrogen dominance um, and then they aren't sleeping because their progesterone also may be low or affected, which is just the double whammy. If you guys have that, you're puffy, you're irritated, you're in pain, um, you can't sleep. It's terrible. And the reason that is, is because mold especially goes for the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And it starts to wipe out your cortisol levels over time. At first it it shoots cortisol up. So you're wired, but tired all the time. And you know, the adrenals um, are on the same axis as the sex hormones. They're also on the same axis as the liver and the thyroid. So all this starts to get kind of unstable when this happens, right? Um, and the cortisol is bottomed out and then the estrogen goes really high because people are so stressed out and it's all connected. And oftentimes I'll see, you know, if you get a Dutch chest done, which is one of my favorite hormonal tests, it, it, you're able to indirectly look at the liver function with that during phase one liver detox. And oftentimes I'll see people get stuck. Their liver is blocked. And that's because parasites mold very hepatotoxic. They like to live there, stay there. And so if the rate limiting step to detoxing estrogen is slowed down, the whole estrogen bathtub fills up and then women are in trouble. I can totally attest to that. I I do a lot of tests every year for myself, just like an MLT, making sure that everything's great. And over the past few years on my Dutch test, it's done that exact pattern. So the first one, cortisol, mm. DHEA were through the roof really high. Um, mm. Second year, it was kind of midway. Third year, it was like on the low end of normal. My testosterone was rock bottom, even though I yep. had PCOS and PCOS like symptoms. Um, yep. Just that inflammation and that uh, blood sugar and insulin effect that the mycotoxins were having as well. It was yes. mimicking PCOS, but my hormones yes. were like rock bottom. 
That's crazy. So and what she's talking about here is, you know, the liver is responsible for making all the sex hormones. So if it's the rate limiting step, everything gets slowed down and it mold really works well at, at bottoming out testosterone. It really does in men and women. Um, it's awful. So if you're having PCOS symptoms, it's new dairy sensitivity. Look at all the other things I asked. Do you grind your teeth? Have you been maybe in a moldy place? There's your body's really not broken. There are answers. And are there any key symptoms that would make you lean towards mold? So would it just be like a case history? So if they mm. live somewhere that's visibly moldy or is that not always? Important? Not always. Not always. I mean, most people don't see mold. They, most people don't even smell it. Occasionally I'll get a canary in a coal mine that says, oh, I shouldn't be in this building as soon as they walk in there. And they're the lucky ones. Um, for the other people who are sensitive that don't know immediately or their awareness isn't on it, it can be years that they go to work in a moldy building or schools, which are the worst, um, or apartments, which, you know, um, landlords love to paint over things and not be responsible for, for um, things like mold in the building because no one knows how terrible it is. Um, so in general, people will start having these weird depersonalization episodes where I'll be like, is this real? Is this my hand? Am I here? Um, and that is a surefire sign. There's something environmentally wrong in the place you're in locally. They also will start to have just random shortness of breath for no reason. Panic attacks are common because the respiratory system is affected. Mm -hmm. um, brain fog, feeling kind of static shocks on the skin at night, like something's pulling hairs on your arms. Um, just the tingling numbness sensation on your extremities. You may start to gain weight. Um, because it really affects um, the leptin levels in your body's realizing um, it's full or satiated. Um, it may really start to um, have you not be able to hold your urine mold. Um, and that's a common thread between parasites and mold. They both can affect the bladder in certain ways. Um, mold will make you feel like you've got diabetes or a UTI because you're having to pee so much all the time. Um, it inhibits it, antidiuretic hormones. So you're just going, 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 and you may be super thirsty too. Yeah. Um, and so those are some blurry vision is another one with people with mold. There's actually a test called the visual contrast test, which you could take over at survivingmold.com for about 15 bucks. And it basically tests the right and the left eye and has you count spokes inside a wheel. And if you miss them, you fail the test. And it's unfortunate because people with mold, their eyesight is so blurred that they absolutely cannot uh, count the spokes. Yeah. I'm the opposite. I think because I'm quite young and, I've been eating a healthy diet and I have really good eyesight. I was actually one of the people who passed the test. Oh, nice. So, yeah. I want to make the good. note that you can, I, my mycotoxin mm -hmm. test was like off the charts positive, mm -hmm. but I, I passed that test. So yeah, if it's a sure. fail, it's a definite mold situation. But if you pass the test, it could still be a factor. Exactly. Exactly. And honestly, I've had lots of people um, pass that test. There are gradients to this, guys. You know, they like to talk about SIRS, which is chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which is um, a mycotoxin um, illness or infestation. And that's when it's like the tipping point is the worst it can get with mold illness. Like you are the worst of the worst, the classic textbook case. But there are gradients and gray areas to this where people don't have SIRS, but they're still extremely sick. Yeah. And I feel like I've become the canary in the coal mine, which is good. Like long-term, I can really be mindful of my environment. So when I go to a new place, I can um, be aware that it's something that I need to pay attention to. But yes. for example, I went back to my um, parents' house the other week 
and I could smell the mustiness and I was like oh my god I never oh, smelled wow. this before so wow. do you feel like people become more sensitive when they get out of that environment and let their body kind of reset yeah, you know, in general, the body is so, so smart that when it, you start to heal, sometimes people are so full of mold and everything else. It's almost like their senses are off. Mm -hmm. So when I start to detox them, they kind of come back to that. And then they have an increased or heightened awareness about where, the, when they shouldn't be in something. Um, like, like you, you probably didn't have that sensation before you were sick. Did you? No, no. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of something your body's developed. And it's an increased, it, that's a gift. It's a gift. So yeah, you're to, in- I'm starting to understand that, that yeah. I was going through that for a reason. Now I can be more mm -hmm. mindful and help other people yes. through similar things. Yes, absolutely. And your body's so smart. Now it's like, you know, Vivian, you shouldn't be in here. There's these VOCs, which if you guys don't know, are in paint and adhesives, volatile or organic compounds. They're super toxic to the body. And there are some people who really react to that stuff. They can't be in a freshly painted room or somewhere where there's mold behind the walls. Their body is too smart for that. Exactly. And there's a huge link between multiple chemical sensitivities, mast cell activation syndrome and Lyme mold. Could you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that connection? Absolutely. So the body is in either of those is appropriately reacting to the environment. Everyone's like, what's wrong with my body? Nothing. Nothing is wrong with your body. It's smarter than mine. These things are toxic and they kill everyone. And your body's appropriately reacting to this. So mast cells are a cell that releases a lot of um, irritating substance, substances, if you will, hemotryptins, trypsins, um, you know, histamine, a lot of things like that. Um, and it is well, they're reacting because they see something. They're releasing those things because there's something there that shouldn't be there. Holy crap, Lime, there's a spherocate in our body that shouldn't be here. Get it out. We're going to release this stuff to try and fight it. It's unsuccessful and it annoys the person who's in the vessel, but it actually is an appropriate response. So you need to find out what's in your body that your body is screaming, get out of me, because that's what, that's what it's doing. Um, the other thing is for multiple chemical sensitivity. Again, oftentimes this connects to a, a congested liver and people being unable to break things down through the liver. Um, I would wager to say a lot of these people can't sweat either. So, uh, but multiple chemical sensitivity, if you ever walked down the laundry aisle at Target and almost fell on your face out of nausea and brain fog and queasiness that happens when you smell toxic laundry detergent. And that is because it is toxic. <laughs> so, you know, dryer sheets, they are toxic. Paint, it is toxic. Um, all these things that we use that are man-made that have been vetted you know, flame retardants, they're toxic to people. So if your body is saying, I shouldn't smell this, I can't think properly when the smell hits my cranial cavity, your body is intelligent and it's telling you to warn everyone else that no one should be around this stuff. Now, we can detox people and get them back to where they're not reacting to those smells. Um, one example is I had a patient, I haven't talked to her in a long time, so no news is good news, but she had an, a, a husband who was in the military. And unfortunately, with their fatigues that he had to wear every day, they're so crisp because they spray those things down with flame retardants. And she, they were about to get divorced because he couldn't even come to the same home as her. He couldn't even come home. They were separated and living in different places. So I finally got her liver cleaned out enough to where he could come home again. So it is possible to get past this stuff, but you're always going to sort of be at a heightened response just because of your genes. Um, and you're always going to have to just be a little bit more aware. But if you keep your drainage pathways open, 
you're exposed to things, they move right out of your body. They don't stick in it. Mm-hmm. And what's the difference between detox and drainage? Mm-hmm. So we hear those two terms, but yes. are they kind of the same thing? They're kind of the same thing. Detox is more like a cleanse. Drainage pathways are your body's innate and inherent way of getting rid of toxins it's exposed to. So drainage pathways are things like skin, lymph, liver, sweat, um, bile, all those things, um, breath, you know, all those things are ways to get things out of the body once they're inside of us. Great. And then the third thing that you said is, um, so we've done the mold, the parasites, lastly, um, it's a big category as well, the the Lyme (laughs) disease and co-infections. Again, are there any clinical um, symptoms that you just like, okay, that's got to be Lyme and its friends? And yeah, just give us a bit of information about what Lyme disease is. People might be aware of it as like the acute bullseye rash. And um, how mm-hmm. is that different to like the chronic type that you see? Yeah, you know, and this is a very controversial subject. There's, there are some doctors, especially infectious disease doctors, that don't necessarily believe in chronic Lyme. I feel like that's rapidly changing and it needs to because it's outdated information at this point. Um, so unfortunately, Lyme disease is a controversial because of the testing. And Lyme disease is caused by a bacteria named Borrelia that lives in often in in ticks, but there have been some evidence that it also can come in mosquitoes and other vectors, bed bugs, spiders, things like that, which remains to be unseen. Um, So it's a little bacteria, a little sneaky bugger that uses ticks as vectors to be able to bite a human and then the saliva infects us with that bacteria. Um, I honestly feel like almost all of us have been exposed, but the, it has to be activated. There has to be a priming event that turns this into acute Lyme. Um, and some people are already primed and ready if they get bit. So this is Lyme disease. It used to not be as, as common. And now the CDC has come out and said that there's going to be 300 to 400,000 new cases each year because the ticks um, territory has changed due to climate change. So now they're now in places they weren't originally found. And it's hard because most people don't feel a tick bite. <laughs> and they, and 10 to 15, 50% of the only amount of people that it's a big range, only amount of people that see the bullseye rash, which is diagnostic and classic for um, Lyme disease. So there you have it. You don't see tick bites. Who feels a flea bite if they come in fleas? And if you don't see a bullseye rash, no one really knows. And Lyme disease is a bacteria that can go underground it, it displays and has something called pleomorphism, which means that it can be corkscrew shape, which we all probably know. And that burrows, that can acts like a driver to burrow into deep into tissues and bone. That's where it hides. Um, and it also doesn't always cause symptoms immediately. When people are in, acutely infected, they may have flu-like symptoms or they may not. And then all of a sudden their joints hurt two years later and they get headaches and they have brain fog and they're like, what is this? And unfortunately, the testing, as I mentioned, is sorely inaccurate. The CDC has these really strict criteria, and they indirectly test people's immune systems by looking at the body's immune reaction to the Lyme presence by testing bands. But what happens if the immune system isn't robust enough to produce an immune reaction to bands, which is common? Mm -hmm. Um, And what if they're not testing all the different species of Borrelia and its frenemies, co-infections like Rickettsia or Rocky Mountain Spot and Fever, What if they're not testing all those different species because they don't think that tick species lives in that territory? 
So this is really common. Um, and then the bands may or may not show up. It may be indeterminate. It's really hard to get a positive Lyme test through CDC criteria. Um, the, the ELISA test, which is a screening test, has about 60 to 80% false negatives. The Western blot also can be falsely positive, um, depending on when in the stage it is. So if they, if they use the screening test as negative, you don't get the confirmatory Western blot test. You're just saying you don't have Lyme and go on your merry way, and people suffer this way. So Lyme disease is a big, huge problem because of all these gray areas I just talked about. And then on top of that, what do you do someone has chronic or acute Lyme, there are two different ways to treat that. Um, a lot of the conventional medicine will give, you know, eight, eight weeks, two, two, three months long worth of antibiotics. A lot of these people's mitochondria, their brain fog, their guts aren't well enough to take long-term antibiotics like that. So this is a really hard place for people to be stuck in. Most of them are called crazy. Yeah. And I feel like I, I can't say for definite. Um, I worked as a camp counselor in Pennsylvania one summer a few years back and I think in Pennsylvania it's quite a common mm -hmm. thing but mm -hmm. I actually think I picked up um, Lyme in New York so I went on like a little holiday afterwards for a couple of weeks and was bitten mm -hmm. by a mosquito in my Airbnb like 40 times all of my oh. body and I did have a histamine kind of mast cell reaction the next day and I yeah. think that's where I may have contracted it because I did a an arm in labs test mm -hmm. um, at the end of last year and one of the markers on the Borrelia it showed positive but my natural killer cells were like rock bottom yep do you have any thoughts as to whether that could I'm just asking like a selfish question uh, whether <laughs> that could just be due to the mold or do you do you usually see it due to chronic Lyme no mold can absolutely um pop off bands, indirect bands, because remember, you're not directly testing for the Lyme bacteria. Mm -hmm. you're, in, you're testing for your body's immune response yeah. to the Lyme presence. So are there other pathogens that can produce an immune response similar to Lyme? Absolutely there are. Yeah. Mold is one of them. Yes. So there have been, there's, this is still intensely researched right now, um, but there have been some thoughts that some of the bands on these tests can absolutely become positive because of other infections like mold. Interesting. So I'm going to wait until the end of the year so it's been like six months since i moved let my immune system come back online and then yeah. retest again to see if it is positive or not and the other thing is a lot of people's Lyme stories are that they probably had Lyme, but their immune system you know your immune system's got it a lot of times there can be a simmering infection you know even in the mouth or somewhere else for years and as long as your toxin bucket inside your body isn't too full, the body's got it. So you may have had that and then got mold and mold is so often the trigger for something like this because it dysregulates the entire immunity from the brain down. Yeah. And then that's everything kind of shows the up. research that I've done and I'm not diving yeah. into any Lyme treatment now because for all I know, it could just be the mold that was the big. Right. Right. And let's talk about your kill bind sweat protocol. So I'm guessing whatever, um, issue the person has, you're going to follow a similar type of protocol. Can you talk us through what each stage involves? Right. Yes. Yeah. So my, you're right. I do sort of the generalized protocol for everyone who comes to me with chronic illnesses and it's been extremely successful. Um, and so not everyone may agree with me on this, but that's okay. I only worry about my patients getting better. So, um, so like I said, Gerson therapy taught me about opening drainage pathways. Remember your drainage pathways are liver, skin, bile, breath, you know, all that stuff, um, lymph. 
And so when I talk to people, I go through each one of those areas and I have a certain set of questions I ask for each drainage pathway or organ system. For example, for the liver, which is kind of, kind of hard to screen for people, you know, I'll get all the way through people and they'll be sweating and they'll be pooping and they won't have cellulite, which means their lymph system is flowing pretty well. And then I'll get to their liver and their liver will be so blocked. So it's really important to be able to screen each one of these so you don't miss anything because the purpose in doing this is if someone is blocked um, somewhere, their drainage pathways and you start killing something off, they're not going to be able to release those toxins in every drainage system in their body. And then they're going to feel terrible. Um, and they're not going to do well on a detox. So I really like to make sure people's bodies are ready. Um, so for example, for the liver, I'll ask, um, you know, how do you handle caffeine or coffee? How do you handle alcohol? Um, and then um, how well do you do when you skip meals? Do you have blood sugar, blood sugar issues at all? And if they answer most of those questions, yes, or an emphatic, you know, yes on a couple of them, then I for sure focus on opening the liver up before I just give them you know, a binder or a kill supplement to get rid of the mold and or lime. Um, and this has really served me well for people. They do extremely well. Another drainage pathway I didn't mention, but should be spoken about is mitochondria. And so the most important question you can ask someone before you plan to detox them is how's your energy? If you wake up in the morning, you feel like you got hit by a bus and you were just dragging your tail the whole day. I can't give you a detox. I can't. We have to recover your energy and your brain fog first. You can't do it. You will fail. And so that at that point, you know, is it the mitochondria? Have you had a lot of antibiotics? Do you feel like you're walking through sand? Do you have brain fog and heaviness at the same time? same time with frustration that's you know tingling on the extremities that's mitochondrial damage and and until that's addressed people will not do well so there's certain steps you need to make sure that the body is back in normalcy slightly it doesn't have to be perfect mostly and then when they're ready you can give them you know a kill bind sweat you know something like uh you know mimosa pudica or biocidin for lime or, or parasites and um you know take a binder i really like cellcore biosciences biotoxin binder um and and then you know you can take that at the same time as the kill supplements which is novel most binders you have to time away and this one you don't it's a miracle and then once so you much easier <laughs> so much easier oh my gosh i love it and then you know at that point in time your body is okay we've got some herbal antibiotics in it or some things that are pulling things out we're killing we're binding them up into a toxic conglomerate. Now, how's the body release this? Because if you don't release this, this will make you so tired um, and bloated, and you'll just feel like you have the flu. So you have to be able to release it. So my job is to make sure you can sweat, you can poop, your liver's working, your lymph's moving, you're breathing okay, and you've got energy before we do all that. What are your favorite, um, some of your favorite tools for the mitochondria and the liver specifically? So I've really just moved everything over to Cellcore Biosciences. The retail company is Microbe Formulas. It's the same company, you guys. And I'm doing a lot of education with them too, if anyone's interested. Um, but I really, they have a, a um, product called Mito Restore, Mito ATP. Um, it's a liquid. You start slow, especially if you have something like POTS or elevated heart rate at all. Maybe with two drops, you work your way up to 10 drops two to three times per day. And um, this has really been a game changer for my patients as far as mitochondrial health goes. I also really like... Quicksilver Scientific and their mitochondrial one supplement for the liver. You asked as well too, mm -hmm. the liver. Yep. Yeah. So the liver, I usually stick with, um, Tudka from Cellcore or my, or microbe also, uh, liver sauce from Quicksilver Scientific. Mm -hmm. 
Um, if you guys know me, if people's guts are a mess, one of my other secrets is to really try and have people open up capsules or um, take liquids because I don't think people do a good job at breaking down veggie capsules full of fillers if their gut's in trouble. Yeah, especially if they have multiple chemical sensitivity as well or ma uh, histamine issues, mast cell issues, and they're taking like cheap supplements. Mm -hmm. Amazon, mm -hmm. pay extra and get the good quality brands. And if anyone's listening... In the UK, I think it might be different in the US that you need a practitioner to order like Quicksilver and Cellcor. Is that right? Um, you know, if I would, yes, you need a practitioner to order Cellcor, but not Quicksilver. I think Quicksilver you can get. Um, the, the, the answer for Cellcore is that their sister company, Micro Formulas, if you're not working with a practitioner, those are the exact same supplements named slightly different names. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we have, we only have the Cellcor in the UK. Um, okay. And I, I believe that you have to be working with a practitioner. So if anyone's listening, yeah, um, just do. want to make that point. Yes. And what about the sweating side of things? Is that just something mm -hmm. that we can just go out and exercise? But that said, <laughs> a lot of people don't have the energy or they physically can't sweat. What's going on there? You know, um, I saw a post the other day where someone was talking about how sweat is not to detox. It's just to um, regulate body temperature. And I was like, no. Um, it's actually to detox as well. Yeah, right. I'm like, no, I don't think that's correct. So um, yes, it is used for both. Um, but you need to have this pathway open. This is, you know, um, we were made to sweat on purpose. God did not say, let's give you some natural antiperspirant because there's a reason that there's sweat glands right next to all these lymph nodes. There's a reason. If we're and, putting them up with antiperspirant deodorant, Correct. Not a good idea. Correct. And then I hear women all the time say, oh, I couldn't sweat in high school. I've been like this my whole life. I thought it was great. I just glisten and glow. And it's not great. Your body is not releasing things it's exposed to, and it absolutely can release toxins in sweat. It can. There's been studies that show the heavy metals can be released in sweat. Um, some more than in urine. We usually just pee more than we sweat, right? Um, so, so that's the difference, you know, if, and I wager to say in most of my clinical experience, if people have a blocked sweat pathway, their other drainage pathways usually aren't in working order either. I've usually. seen that as well. Yeah. And, and for the past month in my new place, I've literally been sweating nonstop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been doing my infrared sauna. So I've got a far infrared sauna to help with the mold detox, but even just like walking around my apartment I'm literally just sweating all the time and some the first couple of weeks it smelled really bad like manly there you go. type sweat you're getting something out and then I, I want to make this point as well there are some people who say to me Dr. Jess you know I sweat too much I'm sweating all the time I'm like clammy cold sweat and that's still a blocked sweat pathway because you don't have control of your autonomic nervous system which is able to contract and um, vasodilate your blood vessels it's able to keep your pressure and metabolism regulated and so if you're kind of the type of person that sweats inappropriately during an emotional reaction it's like that cold clammy sweat and then you can't sweat intentionally that's also a problem it's also a blocked drainage pathway interesting what's your approach to diet so are there any foods that you're just like no if you're gonna overcome some of these conditions you need to stay away from are there any foods that you love to recommend yeah i 
I don't, honestly, this is, I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't spend a lot of time on people's diet when I talk to them. And that's because by the time they come to me, they've already had to do whatever they've had to do to just like stay sane. And that usually means they've cut out most of the inflammatory things anyway, because they weren't going to make it Mm -hmm. if they didn't. Mm -hmm. And so I don't spend a whole lot of time there. I really spend time telling people what not to eat (laughs) and then giving them, because I don't want to give something too restrictive. One of my pet peeves is when people give a, such a restrictive diet plan that people can't hardly live and they feel punished while they're doing it and they're not improving. And I want to say that for most of my patients, diet is not enough. Diet is not enough. It keeps you balanced. It keeps you on the straight and narrow. Um, but if you cheat, you fall off the wagon left or right. And that's because you have a hidden infection and toxicities that the diet will not fix. So diet is often used for me to make sure they're just getting healthy things in and cutting inflammatory foods out. Um, but I don't see it as the end all be all in rescuing most people, um, especially in my patient population. So what I tell people is you can eat anything that grows from the earth that your ancestors would recognize that's grass fed, pasture raised, wild caught and organic. Um, I don't want you eating any gluten or fillers. I don't want you eating processed white sugar. I don't want you eating processed soy, soy and dairy. Um, you know, um, alcohol is a big no, no. Um, right. So all of these things, if people come to me and want to drink and they've got mold and candida, I just don't even see them. No, because all I need to do is sniff some alcohol and I'm inflamed and full of hives. Mm, liver, liver. <laughs> I know, I know I'm yeah. working on it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And what about, um, I know this is like a huge subject and I've had the expert Stephanie Seneff on, but glyphosate, yes. how is that involved yes. in all of this? So glyphosate. Oh, I love her by the way. Yes. She, um, she really did as a service by all her research and bringing it into the awareness of the population. Um, so yes, it's a huge problem. You know, Roundup Ready or glyphosate has a lot of different additives in it and fillers than just glyphosate does. Roundup Ready actually has more things in it that are even more toxic when combined together. Um, it's a huge problem. Now I will be the first to say that, um, Correlation does not cause causation, does not equal causation. However, if you look at some of CNF's charts about how autism and neurodegenerative conditions and a lot of chronic health conditions have risen over the course of the last 20 years in the United States, it does parallel the rise of glyphosate, um, which is just interesting to note. Moreover, you know, really... Monsanto, now Bayer, um, has been very adamant about how it doesn't damage human guts, it just damages pests. But the problem is that we get our essential amino acids from plants. And when you start to mess with whole food chain, it doesn't actually get to us too. We've now stripped the earth and the soil is unhealthy. And this is causing us huge problems too with our gut because we are connected to the earth. So yes, glyphosate is a huge problem. It's connected to lymphoma and leukemia. It's connected to a lot of chronic conditions now. Um, I do think that it affects um, a lot of fertility and birth rates as well um, in healthy children born. Um, and it's a huge problem. You know, we, Great Plains Lab does a non-heavy metal tox screen and it shows the organophosphates and a lot of the pesticides that are being used. And I see a lot of people it affects. A lot. Yeah. They claim that it doesn't kill human cells, but it kills mm-hmm. bacteria yeah. and we're made of trillions of bacteria. That's the yeah, it affects thing. the shikimati, shikimati pathway in plants, yeah. but that interrupts their amino acid synthesis, which also affects us. And maybe yeah. they've tested like one on its own for safety reasons, but they've not looked at it combined with infection and heavy metals and all of these other chemicals mm-hmm. together. They've only done long-term studies on glyphosate, like, I think three to six months. It has not been long-term studies. So I'm just on the last few questions now um, for okay. you. So okay. with some of these chronic illnesses, 
And some of the people that I follow online, they talk about all of these amazing, but very expensive and fancy therapies that could be useful. So hyperbaric <laughs> oxygen chambers, PMF devices, bee venom therapy, ozone IVs. And mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that they're amazing, but a lot of people are just mm-hmm. like, I cannot afford this. I'm already in mm-hmm. debt from mm-hmm. all of my medical bills. Are there any like free tools or just like basic things that could be useful Um, Or do you find that some of these are necessary for recovery? Not everyone, you know, I get a couple hard cases every now and then where it's necessary, but not for most people. For most people, I can literally put them on phase one of self-core and, you know, teach them how to do, you know, maybe distilled water chamomile or coffee enemas at home. Um, Teach them how to do castor oil packs at home. Teach them how to sweat slowly. If it's a chore, we can do it. We do as slow as we need to. And um, I really can, that is enough for most people. It really is. you know, sometimes people don't tolerate enemas as well. Sometimes we have to go to something like PEMF or, you know, bioenergetic medicine, but not usually, not usually. Usually I can do it pretty cheaply for most people. Are there any favorites out of that list that you personally love and have seen to be effective? I think enemas personally, I learned that through Gerson Gerson therapy and it's been like clonics and enemas have been a game changer for most of my patients, especially if they're suffering from gut brain axis dysfunction. Yeah, Yeah. they've been my lifesaver um really yeah yeah. and i've been doing all the additional minerals and things that cellcore recommends and that's like took it up to the next level perfect (laughs) i love that yeah it's just wonderful so i have to kind of pep talk people into that sometimes um but not everyone needs it it's honestly like a second tier to my treatment plan for most of the time for people i have to get their feet wet first you know before i ask them to stick a catheter (laughs) up their bum ease them in (laughs) very slowly (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We've done the first one. They're like, "Oh, that was nothing. I feel amazing." So mm-hmm. they're hooked after that. Exactly. Exactly. Just the one time, guys. If you can just do it one time, I promise. <laughs> yeah. And before we finish up now, I've got a few more questions for you personally sure. about how you stay healthy and so vibrant and energetic. So the first one is: What's one herb, nutrient, or supplement that you couldn't live without? Hmm. Lymphatic support. I have my lymph is my weak system. So I'm always working with massages and fascia blasting and my fascia release and breath work because I don't breathe properly, which is what moves the lymphatic system. So Cellcore's lymphatic support has been a miracle worker for me because I just want someone to like take me in the evenings. I'm on the couch, like ring me out like a towel. (laughs) And that's your fascia and lymph that are bothering you. I say that people are like, you're so weird, but I'm like, no, if you have it, you know what I'm talking about. And, And that stuff, I can take it. And the next day it's like, it kind of melts and I can see myself draining. So for me, that's, you have to know yourself, right? We all have a weak drainage organ system. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. What's one book that you recommend maybe on these types of subjects of either chronic infections, mold, Lyme, mm. or um, just kind of the holistic naturopathic approach to things? Where is that book? It's a book by Dr. Joseph Pizzorno about environmental okay. toxicities. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, it's so good. I have it over here. I should go grab it. Yeah. I'll put, it's, uh, I'll put it in the episode show notes. I know exactly yes, which one you mean. I've read the whole thing. It actually was sort of like my Bible guide when I made my environmental courses. You know, if I had a question, that was my dictionary. I went to look it up. So that book is, is the general layperson can read it and understand it. It's a lot of useful information. Mm-hmm. What's one thing that you do daily to stay in hormonal harmony? Mm, meditate. Mm. It is. Um, and really um for me 
hormones are triggered by thoughts, like especially neurotransmitters and hormonal releases. You have adrenaline, if you're you know, chasing a, getting chased by a bear, your adrenaline's going, that's released by thoughts, right? So I really try to regulate my thoughts through meditation and my breathing through meditation because that can control hormonal release as well and neurotransmitter release. Those two are connected. Um, I also, I had a horrible Dutch test, just so you know, horrible Dutch test. Like my pathways going down my liver were scary. Like um, the blue pathway, the 16-OH pathway was like almost 40%. I was like, Whoa. no wonder I'm so bitchier on my oh period. My so yeah, so when you guys see something like that, DIM is also really important. So um, until I got my liver straightened out, I took a lot of DIM too. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really important for your hormones to make sure your liver's in good shape. Um, most of America is not. Agreed. I had to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're bombarded by so many different things. We need to give our livers a little extra love every now and again. Yeah, exactly. They're not just some drainage pathway that just works at peak performance all the time, guys. That's a myth. It's not true. I know people say that's the argument, isn't it? You have a liver, you don't need to do anything. Boo. I'm with you. Not true. <laughs> and lastly, Jess, where can people more find more from you online? So I just released my new website in the last probably like three or four months. It's Dr. Dr. Jess MD. So drjessmd.com. And on there, I have some educational courses. If you guys, everybody really wants to see me, I, I hate to tell everyone my wait list is a year long, according to Nourish Medical Center right now. So but I created these courses so you could have a little bit more of my, how I think through these consults. You saw a lot of it on here. You know, how I work so you can have that knowledge and information to apply that to yourself. Um, I also am really um, active on social media right now. I don't have a Facebook that's going to be back soon, but I am on MeWe, which is a private group that doesn't stalk you like Facebook. Um, and, uh, as well as Instagram, sadly owned by Facebook, but on there, you can find me at dr period, Jess period MD. And I give a lot of free health information on there and, and really interactive with my audience audience as well. I agree. You're one of my favorite people to follow. I learned so much from every single post and I love your um, kind of quote, what you're known for, be your own best doctor. And I think all of the resources that you provide are allowing people to do that. So I want to thank you for everything that you do and for coming on the podcast today. I really enjoyed it and I'm glad that we got to connect. Same. I'm honored you had me. You're a great interviewer. I can't wait to hear it. So. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you would love a free copy of my hormone-friendly recipes guide, please leave me a rating and review and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain and refined sugar-free recipes and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health as I share a ton of free content every day and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk for my blog and many free guides which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrollment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.